0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Okay, so I, uh, I graduated from seminary, and I became a middle school pastor, okay? I did not grow up intending to be a middle school pastor. Like, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a doctor or a teacher or a middle school pastor. That was not, that was not what I was thinking. Um, simply, I graduated, and there was a girl that I wanted to continue to pursue, and she went to that church, and she lived in that city, and I wanted to stay there. So a position opened up, and I applied for it, and I became a pastor to middle schoolers. And so uh, about a year into that, I was, uh, I was there on a Sunday morning. Uh, a new family came. Uh, they were there from Nashville, first time ever, and they were moving, and so uh, they introduced me, and I had to take a wedding gift back. We had just gotten married. I had to take a wedding gift back to another part of Los Angeles. And I said, well, hey, I'll, uh, let, me, let me grab Zach. I'll take him with me this morning after we're done, and we'll grab some lunch. We'll go take my we'll, – we'll exchange this gift, and then I'll bring him home. Great. Awesome. So we do. We do that. We go off. We have a nice time, get to know him a little bit. I'm bringing him back home, and I say, okay, um, where do you live? And he says, <laughs> I just moved here. I don't know where I live. What's your address? I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. What's, what's your phone number? Sorry, I got nothing. So here I am, I'm in the middle of Los Angeles uh, driving around, and I've got this kid in my car, and he has no idea where he lives. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I actually pulled over, got out his Bible, and by the absolute providence of God, he had an invitation to his birthday party in his Bible. And it had the address of his house there. And so I was able to, I was able to, to get him home. So I go into his house. And his dad, they're setting everything up, and his dad has a, you know, just this really neat recording studio that he's putting together in there, and uh, it turns out he's a voiceover artist, okay, and he's, he's moved here to L.A., and uh, so, you know, it, Zach is like, Dad, do your thing, you know, and it's like, I mean, so this guy who's just like sitting there talking to me normal is all of a sudden like, in a world… Filled with hardship and destruction, one man arises. You know, and it's like, whoa, you're that guy. Like, you're that guy. And it was amazing, and it was amazing how quickly he could snap into it. So, we have been kind of looking at what I would call a preview, a movie preview, right? And movie previews are awesome, and so often the previews are better than the movie, and there's got to be like an art. There must be like some class to this. And you've got the voice and you've got the music and, you know, my kids, I take them to the movie theater and every single movie, they're like, I want to see that, I want to see that, I want to see that, I want to see that. And it's good and you anticipate it. And that's kind of what we've been in in Daniel for these last few weeks. It's, it's been a preview of things to come. And a good preview shows you just what you need to know, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. And, and so it is with Daniel. So it is with Daniel. So we kind of see what the end times are generally going to look like, but there's a lot that God doesn't tell us. So here we are. We're at the end of our study this morning. Daniel went to Babylon as a teenager. By the way, I always think it's interesting. God sends His people out of the land twice, once to Egypt and once to Babylon, and both times He sends a teenager ahead to be to rise up in the government there in Joseph and in Daniel and to take care of his people while they're there. During his time there, his wisdom brings him to the top part of the Babylonian government. Uh, He is able to do all kinds of things to put God's glory on display, and then beginning in chapter 7, he gets this series of visions about things that are going to happen, and we have these four world kingdoms that are going to come, we have this antichrist in the form of this little horn who's going to rise up, and he's going to be this major force on the world scene, and then finally, Jesus Christ comes back in this fifth kingdom and destroys all of it and reigns forever. But what's interesting is that as we come to this final section today, Daniel is mourning. He's troubled. He's an old man and his heart is heavy. And even though he has seen the glorious scope of human history, he is troubled for his people, the Jews. God, what about your people? What things haven't worked out like I thought they were going to. I've been waiting around for this glorious return and it just hasn't happened. God, where are you? What happens now? And so, we're going to see a vision this morning, and and the point of the vision is contained in chapter 10, verse 14, where the angel comes and says, I have come to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So, what we have here this morning in chapters 10 through 12 is a vision specifically related to the Jewish people and it is one that still has great relevance for the Jewish people today. God is not finished with the Jewish people. He has not forgotten His covenant. covenant. But do not think that it does not have relevance to us because this is a passage that provides hope to believers in every generation, in every nation, as we await the Lord's return. And ultimately, it helps us understand the purpose of suffering. Why does God bring suffering to people? He brings suffering to the people He loves so that He can draw them closer to Himself. Now, this is a massive passage. We're going to do an overview of Daniel 11, uh, 10 through 12 this morning. If I just read it from beginning to end, it would take like half of our time together. So I'm going to just sort of walk through these passages this morning. Uh, But before I do, I I want, just for your sake, I want to tell you what each chapter is kind of about, so that if you want to go back and look at them in more detail, you'll kind of know what's going on. Chapter 10 is the introduction to the vision, and it's it includes this appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, followed by this really interesting description Of an of the angelic warfare that goes on and that we can't see, and that's that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time together this morning. Uh, Chapter eleven then gives this really detailed history of the Old Testament, sort of from Daniel's time up to where the New Testament begins. So we could say it's it's in between the two testaments, and then it stops abruptly, and it gives a detailed description of what's going to happen in in the end times. Okay, and then chapter twelve closes out the book. There's hope there's triumph, and there's reward for the people of God, okay? So, let's dig in. Bear with me. We're going to move fairly quickly through some passages, but y'all, this is a really, really interesting section of Scripture, okay? So, let's begin in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar and the word was true and it was a great conflict and he understand the word understood the word and had an understanding of the vision okay so daniel is at the end of his life he is serving under cyrus cyrus is the guy who sends the jews back out of captivity back from persia into the land once again, okay? And Daniel is a very old man. He's probably 85 or 90 years old at this time. He's nearing the end of his life when he has this vision. He says, the word was true, and there was a great conflict. And, and what he means by the word was true is, you, you may not believe it. It seems pretty incredible, but what I'm about to tell you is true And it involves a great conflict. And as we're going to see, it involves conflict in heaven, conflict in the past, and conflict in the future. All right, so this is just a passage about all the conflict that is going to rage on until the end of time. Verses 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So Daniel is in this time of great mourning, He does not take any kind of nice things of life, no meat, no wine. He he does not anoint himself with oil. He's an 85-year-old man, so this would have certainly taken a toll on his body, but he is in deep mourning. Something is bothering him very, very deeply, and and this is exactly what we would expect from a guy whose heart is in line with God's heart, as he has been from from very early in the book. Daniel loves what God loves, and he hates what God hates, and so he is not fasting. He's not trying to get something from God. He is fasting just out of a response because he's broken over the fate of his people, and he wants to know what's going to happen. So, Daniel had lived his entire life in Babylon he, from a young man looking forward to the day when the Jews would get to go back home, okay? And so, finally, in, in 539 B.C., Cyrus issues this decree that they can, in fact, go back to their land. But it's totally unimpressive what happens. Only about 40,000 of them go back, okay? So, of all the people in Babylon and all the people who had been born in Babylon, very few of them actually go back to the land. Once they get there, the land is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and nobody is that motivated to do anything about it. And frankly, the spiritual life of the people at this point is very, very low. They're not that interested in honoring God. And this is a great discouragement to Daniel. He's been praying… He's been praying for his people. He's been serving his people. And so, he is mourning because he's saying, God, this was not the way it was supposed to happen. When you brought the people back from Egypt, there was plagues, and there was a, a big parting of the sea, and they came back in to the land. And, and this time, it just, it just seems like it just kind of fizzled out. God, what's going on? And so, Daniel does exactly what he has done for his entire life he prays. He doesn't try to manipulate things. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He gets on his knees. He prayed. He prayed in chapter 2 when they needed to interpret the dream. He prayed when the edict went out that the king only wanted people to worship him. In chapter 6, he, he got down on his knees and he prayed three times a day, just as was his habit. So Daniel is a man whose reflex in life is to pray when times get tough. He prays without ceasing He is a man after God's own heart. And when we live in step with God's will and what God wants, then we will be people of prayer as well. It drives us to our knees to say, God, what is going on? And here's what I think separates Daniel from us, and that is this. I believe that Daniel actually believed that God would do things in response to prayer. I think Daniel did not just believe that God was only interested in spiritual things, he believed that God was interested in everything. And so for us, when, when, we, when we have health problems, you know, we go to the doctor and we get medicine and we go to a specialist and we change our diet and we do exercise, but how many of us actually get on our knees and pray that God would heal? In the case of our children, in the case of our loved ones, do we pray believing that God will answer? When, when, a, when a financial crisis comes into our lives, do we pray, Lord, help me, I wasn't planning on this, I don't have the resources for this, or we, do we just go to the plastic card in our wallet and swipe that card and decide we'll pay for it later? Do we get on our knees and ask the Lord? When our, when our children are, are seeking direction, when we're planning for our kids and what, what's going to happen and we want to have them study hard and have lots of extracurricular activities and go to the best college and get the best jobs, how many of us are saying, but first, first, get on your knees and seek direction from the Lord? That's the kind of person that Daniel was and that's the kind of person that we ought to be as well. People whose reflexive response to difficulties or troubles or questions is to get on our knees and pray. Look at the response here in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So Daniel is praying, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees... supernatural being. And this supernatural being is not just any supernatural being. This supernatural being, his appearance is overwhelming. There are people around Daniel at the river, and they don't see the vision, but they sense that something is going on, and they flee trembling away from Daniel. And I believe the person in this vision is the same person who was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe he is the same person who, came, who comes as a son of man in, in the vision of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, I believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Christ. And Daniel finds himself wrecked. Strength leaves his body. He falls down to the ground in a deep sleep, and y'all, this is what happens over and over again. When humanity encounters the supernatural, we are natural, we are comfortable with natural, it feels right to us. When the supernatural invades the natural, it, it, it causes us to be wrecked. It causes us to tremble. We are not adequate to stand in the presence of the supernatural. By the way, too, if you ever encounter somebody who says that they have had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, if their first response was not to fall down trembling, then I would wonder if they have really had such a vision. Because across the pages of Scripture, when people encounter deity, whether pre-incarnate or post-incarnate, after the resurrection, the first response of people to Christ is to fall down and to worship and to tremble. Let's look at verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my knees and my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So a different person reaches down and touches Daniel. Daniel. And he gives him strength so that he can stand up. And he says, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And from the first day you humbled yourself and set your heart to understand, you have been heard by God. And let me just encourage you, believer, two ways from this passage. And the first is this. God loves it when his people humble themselves and fall before him and seek wisdom and comfort and help from him. The angel comes and says, you are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. God, God in, His, in His grace, dispatches this angel from His throne to come down and to deliver this message for Daniel. God has resources at His disposal that we have no clue about, and He is thrilled to be able to send them to our aid when we ask. And then secondly, I would encourage you this way, there are people who are very godly very, very godly, who experience great times of difficulty and discouragement. Daniel is a godly man. He has had many blessings in his life, and he knows God well, and yet here he is at this point in his life still mourning, still saying, why, God, why? Why is this happening to my people? Why is this happening to my loved ones? I don't understand. Help me. And God responds to that, Daniel, you are You are greatly loved. Now, what we're about to see in chapter 10 is one of the strangest accounts in all of the scripture because God is going to pull back the curtain just a little bit so that we can see what's going on on the supernatural. Side of things. Like I said, we're so comfortable with the natural, and when we see this, this is going to seem like the stuff of fantasy novels. It's going to see like, seem like the stuff of a science fiction movie, but y'all, it is real, and God has revealed it to us, and He shows a little picture of what is going on in the heavenly realms. So this angel is sent from the throne room of God to answer Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is the, the angel speaking, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So, 20 days, 21 days earlier, when, when Daniel started mourning, he had been mourning for three weeks, this angel is dispatched from the throne of God to come and take a message to, to Daniel. And this being, this creature, the prince of Persia, hinders him from coming for 21 days. And so Michael, this other being, comes to help this unnamed angel so that he can get away from the prince of Persia and come to give Daniel the message. Now look down at verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince. So, this unnamed angel is going to deliver his message to Daniel, and then he's going to return, and at some point, this prince of Greece is going to come on the scene, but him and Michael have got it. They're going to continue to fight together. Y'all, I wake up every morning, and I punch the coffee, and then I go in, and I look at the internet to see what has happened in the world while I've been asleep. And every day, there's new wars, and there's new conflicts, and there's new battles, going on, and y'all, we have no idea. We have no idea about the battles that are going on in this universe all the time, because clearly there is far more going on than we can see. So we're going to engage in just a moment of angelology this morning. That's a, it's a field of study within theology to look at angels. What can we learn from this passage about angels, okay? And the first thing is this. Angels are real, Let's just be clear. And don't let your view of angels be shaped by popular culture, all right? So first of all, angels are not fat little babies flying around with bows and arrows, all right? Get that out of your mind. That's not what an angel is, all right? And as much as you might like it to be true, there's no such thing as an angel coming at Christmas to help somebody to get his wings, all right? It's a Wonderful Life is a great movie, but we're not building theology off of a wonderful life, all right? Okay, so the angels that we see here in chapter 10, they're like spiritual navy seals. These are warriors. They are protectors. When God says go, they go. God says, you go right there, they go right there and they have names, and they have personalities. Last week, we saw Gabriel came to Daniel to deliver that message. Gabriel shows up again in the New Testament talking to Mary, okay? We see Michael is named in this passage. He is called an archangel in Jude 9, which means chief angel. He is clearly a very, very powerful, real, personal being. And in verse 21, we read that he is referred to as Israel's prince, meaning that his job is is to protect Israel. Look at Revelation 12, 7 through 9 with me. I'm going to put it up here. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay? So just so you're clear, angels are real. They are personal. They have names. And let me, uh, let me clear this up for you too as well while we're here. Sometimes I go to funerals, and I'll hear people say, well, Grandma is an angel now looking down on us. All right? That's not true. All right? Grandma didn't go to heaven and become an angel any more than she went to heaven and became a unicorn. All right? we are humans, all right? Angels are angels. When you die, if you are in Christ, you will go to heaven, your body will be resurrected, and you will be a glorified human. And there will be angels in heaven, and there will be humans in heaven, and you will still be a human being, all right? So, CBC, let's, let's speak biblically on that one, all right? Number two, There are good angels and there are evil angels. Very simply, in this account, we see that there are angels that are opposed to God. We see that there are angels that are helping God. Um, The angels that are opposed to God in the Scripture are called demons. Satan was created as an angel, and he fell. He challenged God's glory. He fell. He took a group of angels with him. They are referred to as demons, which leads to number three. Angels then, demonic and otherwise… Can be assigned to human, human beings, and to human governments. Okay, so you have this prince of the kingdom of Persia who is clearly responsible to make sure that God's purposes are thwarted in Persia. Um, at this time, God, Cyrus is sending the people back to the land, so you can just picture that there is a battle in heaven raging as, as the prince of Persia tries to stop that. Uh, verse 20 says this prince of the kingdom of Greece is going to arise soon. We can assume there would be a prince of the kingdom of Rome. There's a prince of Russia. There's a prince of the United States. There's a prince of Finland. For all we know, there are these angels who are assigned to… these, these evil angels who are assigned to thwart God's purposes in these places. It's several times in the Scripture, too. These are, uh, demons are referred to as idols or gods of the nations, which means to me that when a nation worships, worships a false god, they are worshiping these, these angels, these fallen angels that are, that are assigned to thwart God's purposes and to draw His glory away from the true God, all right? But there are also good angels, and they are assigned to help God's people. Michael is an angel who is assigned to help the Jewish people, and Daniel is receiving this message at this crucial time in the nation of Israel. So, I'm confident that Michael continues to fight this day on behalf of the people of Israel because he is their angel, okay? Number four, there is an invisible war going on that we can't see that involves angels and believers, all right? So, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. Why? Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, y'all, we are weak. We are natural. We are weak. Angels are supernatural. We have no power compared to them. But Paul says that we can have everything that we need in Christ to arm ourselves, to defend ourselves so that we can stand firm. The weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are not fleshly, but they are divine to destroy strongholds. So when we put on the armor of God, the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, when we put those things on, then we are preparing ourselves to go out into this very real spiritual battle. And it exists And Daniel is a warrior in this battle. He is 85 years old, but he is fighting on his knees. He lives a life devoted to prayer, and he ensures that he is protected against these supernatural forces. And, y'all, it is so important. Satan wants you to think that you are not in danger. He wants you to think that he does not exist, but he is a murderer, and he hates human beings, And he wants to bring them to ruin. And if you are a Christian, he wants to ruin your testimony. And you may feel like that this is just a quiet, nice Sunday morning in the middle of July or the end of July on our little speck of this globe. But the truth is, every single one of us who is sitting here right now, we are in the middle of a war. And you are either fighting with the weapons that God has given you and arming yourself with his armor, or else you are a sitting duck waiting to be defeated by a very real enemy. So, we get this little peek into the battle, and Satan would love you to think that there is no battle. And so, we must carry on in faith believing that there is far more going on than we can see, which leads to one final point, and that's this. God's angels act on behalf of believers. I happen to believe in guardian angels Maybe that's a little weird to you, but I I believe that we have angels who are assigned to us to protect us as individuals. Listen to what Jesus says to His disciples in Matthew 18, "'See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of My Father who is in heaven.'" So children have angels, and their angels see the face of the Father. So why would we not believe that there would be angels assigned to us as well. And all of this is encouragement to us as the people of God. We don't fight alone. We don't know the kind of battles that are going on beyond what we can see, but God has people, has angels there to protect us, to care for us. And I have so many questions about all this. Don't you? I mean, we're told very little. How did this prince of the kingdom of Persia slow this this unnamed angel down? How did that work? And if angels don't have bodies that can be killed, what what kind of warfare is going on? But you know what else the Bible says? And this is really cool. This kind of gets back to the whole we don't become angels things. The Bible actually says that angels long to know what it is that we experience. Like, there is an intimacy that we are enjoying with the Father, that He has poured out His grace to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that angels are like… The Bible actually says they want to know More about that. And they're in here and they're right now, they're watching. They're watching as this whole thing plays out as God puts his glory on display throughout all the universe. So, what is the message? We already looked at it. Verse 14 I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. This is God's answer to Daniel's prayer and he's going to tell him what's going to happen to his people. All right? So, that brings us to chapter 11. Whoa! Now, this may be the fastest that we ever go through a chapter here at CBC, and it's a long chapter, and we're going to spend just a couple of minutes with it. Um, Chapter 11 gives a detailed account of history as it relates to the Jewish people. And you've got pe- you've got names in this chapter. They're not named, but they're in the chapter, people that you would recognize. Xerxes was, was the king of Persia, and he's, he's the dude who was involved in like the battle with the 300 at Sparta. You've got Alexander the Great, who you've heard of. Cleopatra is, is alluded to in this passage. And then it comes down to a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who we talked about last week, who's like the Hitler of, of the intertestamental period. And all he wants to do is just destroy the Jews, okay? And, and a little key to what's going on here is found in Daniel 11, 34 and 35. It says, when they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made white until the end of time, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the point here is just this. The history of the Jewish people has been a history of struggle and difficulty. And throughout all of of history, there have been madmen and there have been nations who have wanted to eradicate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. And the fact that they still exist testifies to God's faithfulness to His covenant with Abraham. Because I'm assuming none of you have ever met a Hittite or a Hivite or a Jebusite. There are so many peoples that have gone on, and yet the Jewish people, in spite of great persecution and great tribulation, have continued To live. And so the question is why? That's Daniel's question. It's still our question today. Why? Why has God put these people through this? And verse 35 tells us so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end. There's nothing as effective to bring somebody to a knowledge of God than suffering. And suffering that seems so bad for us. Has as its goal to bring us to the end of ourselves, which brings us to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And y'all, this passage predicts that there will be more to come because after verse 35, it switches over and it talks about a future in verse 36 that goes to the end of the chapter of this Antichrist who is coming and he is going to bring more tribulation. He is going to unleash a war on the Jewish people that will be unlike anything. As hard as it is to believe, he is going to unleash a war on the Jewish people that will be unlike anything that we have ever seen before, which brings us then to chapter 12, because the book of Daniel ends with hope. There's hope for Daniel, there's hope for the Jewish people, and there's hope for us. And so, in order for us to endure to the end, we have to have hope. So, look quickly at uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, there he is again, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So at that time, when things are the worst, when when things are worse than they've ever been, There's going to be a time of trouble like there's never been before. Nobody's ever seen any time of trouble like this. That's the time that we normally refer to as the great tribulation. And Jesus references this same passage uh, when when he talks in Matthew 24. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or in Sabbath, and then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No will never be. And so Daniel says at that time, in the midst of that great tribulation, Michael will again come to the aid of his people, and he will defend them. And there will be that one final battle. At that moment, when the Antichrist and Satan think that they are finally going to eradicate God's people, and they're finally going to make it clear that God's covenant was not true, Michael is going to arise, and the people of Israel will be delivered. Look at Matthew 24, 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So at that time, the people will be delivered. There will be redemption, which will be followed by verse, uh, number two, resurrection. Look at verse two. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to everlasting life, these to everlasting life, and others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. You know, a lot of people think that the, the Old Testament people didn't have any concept of resurrection, that that was new to the New Testament, but it's not. They, they believed in a physical body, bodily resurrection. And Christian, this is our hope as well. Like, this is what we proclaim. Y'all, we have a general, a king, and we are engaged in a battle. But you know what the amazing thing about this king is? He can raise people from the dead. Y'all, if we believe that we have a king who will physically, literally raise these bodies up, then, then, then we can do anything. Imagine knowing that even if you die, you will rise again. That is our hope. That is the truth of the Scripture. Death is not the end. And so Daniel, Daniel himself anticipated a day when He would rise again, and then finally, when He would be renewed and rewarded. Verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteous like stars forever and ever. Y'all, there's going to come a time when the redeemed will finally be set free. And y'all, we will be able to do what we were created to do, which is to bring glory to God. That's what we were created to do, Human beings were created to enjoy bringing glory to God. We have no intrinsic glory. We have no glory of our own. And what this this passage is saying is we will shine like the stars in the heaven. The the stars, Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. We will be like the heavens, and we will be like mirrors reflecting God's glory as we live forever enjoying all that He has created us. Y'all, the fall of man caused us to worship the creature rather than the Creator. Jesus Christ came so that we no longer have to worship the creature, but that we can once again worship the Creator and enjoy Him forever. Whew. Maybe it will make you feel better to know that Daniel has a lot of questions at this point. Daniel 12.4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And then down in verses 8 through 10, I heard, but I did not understand. That's Daniel speaking. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Daniel wants to know more. What, what does all this mean? And over and over again, twice in the chapter, the, the angel says, Daniel, shut up the book. And what, what does it mean when he says shut up the book? It doesn't mean put it away or hide it, because here we are, we're reading it today, and we're trying to understand what it means. But here's what I think it means when he says shut up the book. Put it it in the Scripture, and people like us all through the centuries will will study this book. And and because we don't see everything that's going to happen, it won't be entirely clear for us. But one day… Things are going to start to happen. Supernatural things, amazing things. God's things are going to start to happen in this world again. And some man, many men, many human beings all over this world are going to start to wonder, what does this mean? Jewish people are going to start to say, what does this mean? And they're going to remember that they have a copy of the scriptures somewhere in a box in the attic. And they're going to go get that copy and they're going to open it up to the book of Daniel. And this this book that seems so obscure to us right now is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to help them understand the things that are going on and to lead them to a knowledge of the real true Messiah that this entire book points to. So, yes, there is much of this that is difficult to understand, but I believe a day is coming when Daniel and the book of Revelation will make a lot more sense. And don't get me wrong, I think that we should devote ourselves to studying these things, but there's a day coming when we can know that it will be clear and understandable. All right, we've done a lot of work today. We've covered a lot of ground. I want to make two quick applications right here at the close. Number one, not all of God's Word is easy, but all of it's profitable. Not all of God's Word is easy, but all of it's profitable. These last few weeks have been a challenge, They've been a challenge to, to preach. I, I, I got to tell you, Bill and I, probably like over and over again these last three weeks, we've like been on the phone with each other saying, man, I mean, I, I understand what it says, but I just, I can't even think about how I'm going to package this and how I'm going to explain it. So as, as much as it's been hard maybe for you to hear, it's been hard for us to preach. Most of the time when people preach through Daniel, they chop it, stop at chapter 6 because this stuff is hard. But we believe Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3:16 where he says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So we believe that God he gave us this scripture and that it's all profitable. I would even say, you know, this is a limited amount of material. It may seem huge to you, but God could have written volumes, but he gave us this and he gave us this section of Daniel for a reason. And also this, you have inside of you dwelling all the time the Holy Spirit who is the author of this book, and He can help you understand even in the difficult passages. So, if we're going to say we don't study sections of the Bible because we just don't think we can understand them, that's not a statement of humility. That's a statement of doubt about the Holy Spirit's ability to illumine our minds to the things that God has given us. All right? So, I hope that you will take this study of Daniel as an encouragement to venture into other areas of the Scripture, maybe that you have found daunting, but there's so much gold to be mined out of those areas of the Scripture. Secondly, this, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. And if you're like me, you're, you're mixed at this point in the study with a sense of, like, wonder, but also a sense of bewilderment, because there's some really exciting and cool things that are revealed to us in this book, but it's also surrounded by suffering and tribulation. And so Daniel 10 through 12 is a vision about how God uses suffering to purify His people, the people that He loves very much, and to bring them to Himself. So if you're here this morning and you're suffering You're having great difficulty in your life, in the lives of your loved ones, just looking at the world in general. Let me encourage you as we close. Number one, you have a great resource in prayer. You in prayer can do battle in the universe, and we've seen that this morning. We've seen that there are real angelic beings who minister to us in unseen ways even as we suffer. We have no idea the resources. I believe we'll look back one day. We will look back in one day and we will see how God carried us, how God sent help to us in ways that we would have never imagined. And then third, in the end, evil loses. Evil loses and righteousness wins. And so the Scriptures would call us to join with all the saints, Daniel and others, through all the centuries and endure and trust, and pray, and look forward to the day when all will be made right. And finally, allow your suffering to have its perfect result to draw you to Jesus Christ, because if your suffering draws you to Him, then it has put you right where God intends you to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again we thank You. We thank You for the mysteries, that are contained in this book. God, some of this just makes me want to know more, makes me want to know more about what's going on behind the scenes, and yet you have revealed certain things and you have kept certain things hidden from us. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with the things you have revealed. We trust you with the things that are still secret. Lord, may these things move us to cherish Christ more. God, may we not love this world. Father, would you help us Would you help us to endure to the end together as your body, the church here at CBC, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.